It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Today on Moment of Truth, we are going to revisit an interview I did with Crystal Shawanda back in June of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic and just after the release of her latest album, Church House Blues, which is, of course, now been nominated for Juno in two categories. And they are the Best Indigenous Album or Group of the Year, as well as Best Blues Album of the Year. I caught up with Crystal. She was in Nashville at the time of our conversation. It was a real pleasure to speak with her, reflecting on life and life during the COVID lockdown, as well as her time back on Manitoulin Island in her home community, and also talking about the new normal. What's the new normal like? And congratulations to Crystal Shawanda on her two nominations for Junos. And Crystal, of course, is nominated for Best Indigenous Artist or Group of the Year, along with our very own Julian Taylor. And we'll be having a conversation with Julian coming up very shortly on his nomination and his album, The Ridge. Don't miss that. But let's get back to Crystal Shawanda and my interview that I did with her back in June of 2020. A lot of people I've heard say they don't want to go back to the way things were. Have you heard that? Yeah, I actually just said that yesterday. (laughs) I was telling my husband, you know, he's my guitar player, my producer. So we go on the road together as a family. And even though we're together as a family, I was telling him, you know, it's been such a blessing to just slow down. And like, you know, um, I've been touring nonstop for the past, you know, since my first country album, Dawn of the New Day, came out. I've been nonstop living on the road. And even though I get to take my family with me, it's nice being home and it's nice being still. And, you know, I'm looking at the positive side of things because if you focus on the negative, it's going to drive you crazy. (laughs) Yeah. uh, And uh, that is, uh, I guess, what's happening to some degree because it has been, you know, as you say, it's been quite a while now. We're into our second month. Are we getting into our third month? I don't even know what the days are anymore. To be <laughs> right. It all, it all starts to bl- blend together, you know? <laughs> it does. But, you know, speaking of, of blending together, um, I, you know, I, I just want to go back to Wiki for a second. For people that don't know what we're talking about, Wikwimikong is up on Manitoulin Island. And uh, it Manitoulin Island is one of the most beautiful places that you could ever go if you've never been to Manitoulin Island and you're in Ontario, well, you are missing something. You, you definitely have to get up to Manitoulin Island. Um, it has, there's something special about that place. Uh, and Wiki is, is a great place. They have a, usually they have a, an, an annual powwow every year. Uh, I guess this year they're not holding it. No, this year they had to call it off. So, you know, because of everything, they want to, you know, be safe and with everything. But yes, it's a, it's a beautiful place and I highly recommend going. It's actually the largest freshwater island in the world. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful place. It's spiritual. Everybody who goes has an amazing experience. And, uh, you know, I always say the hardest part about leaving home is staying gone. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you mentioned but that it is the largest uh, freshwater island in the world. I don't think a lot of people know that. I really, and just the ferry ride there, uh, unless you're, of course, driving around to the north and coming down, but the ferry ride, is a nice ferry ride for about an hour and a half or so. It reminds me very much of the West Coast going from uh, uh, the mainland over to Vancouver Island. It's about the same amount of time. Yeah, it actually reminds me of that we go out to Vancouver Island a lot for shows. So it actually reminds me of that. You know, it's, it's been 
interesting and, and quite a blessing doing the promotion for my new album from my hometown, you know, like I've been doing all my interviews, uh, you know, even the face interviews on the phone and, and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, we even sh- I shot my promotional video for the new album there and I did my latest music video there. So it's kind of funny, you know, because of this pandemic, my hometown has ended up in my promotion uh, more than it ever has in my whole life. <laughs> That's great. The blues, you're, you're big on the blues. I, I was reading a little bit about your, your history and uh, up in Wiki when you were there, your, your brother, I guess your older brother used to play the blues a lot and you used to strain to hear the, the songs as he was listening to this stuff because your mom and dad raised you on country. Yeah, definitely. I was, uh, you know, closet blues singer, you know, my parents, they listen to country music, but my brother always listened to a lot of blues music. And so you know, when nobody was home or, you know, or just kind of, I would go down in the basement and I would kind of practice singing these songs. I was just always kind of curious. I wonder if I could do that. And I was always just kind of drawn to the sounds of the blues, you know? And, and so that was something that, um, I used to do a lot. I was just kind of curious. And so I would try to sing a song like an Etta James song. And then I'd be like, Oh, I could do that too. And, you know, so I was always kind of trying to um, you know, figure out my voice. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always evolving, always teaching myself new things, how to sing and stuff like that and seeking out new voice teachers and, <laughs> and the blues did that for me. And I, it just felt very natural. And so, you know, we were, um, you know, in the middle of recording our third country album and I was sitting there listening to all the songs and I just realized that I didn't really like anything I recorded. <laughs> um, you know, I think I realized that I was chasing radio. I was recording songs that I thought radio might like, and mm-hmm. I just didn't like the way that felt. So, you know, we wrote a bunch of new songs and put out a blues album out there. And at the time I was heading my own record label. So I thought, you know, isn't this why we started our own record label so we could be as creative as we wanted. And, and that's what we did. And I we released my first blues album and now we're at our fourth. So I haven't, I haven't looked back for me. It's felt like letting the bird out of the cage and now I can't put her back in. <laughs> now, you know, I'm wondering how that ties in a little bit with, with something I read again, going back to your early days in Nashville where, you know, you, you sat down with, um, I think it was a, a producer, someone well-known in the industry, uh, I guess trying to get some, some advice and things. And, and they gave you this, comment about gee uh, I wouldn't know how to market you as a Native American woman in the in country and it, it really strikes me odd that someone would say that first of all but um, because why would that be any different than any anyone else doing music but um, can you tell me a little bit more about that how, how did that how did that make you feel yeah, definitely you know for me it was uh, you know it was like it was it was it shattered my world, you know, because I have been living, you know, I started, I started singing on stage when I was six and I started getting paid to do when I was 10. And, you know, I dropped out of high school at 16 to move to Nashville. And, you know, I've given my whole life to this, even though I, you know, I was so young. And so it was just like, he was taking away my whole purpose, my whole goal, my whole dream. And, you know, if, if somebody had told me I was out of tune, I could take singing lessons. If, you know, if my song sucked, I could try to write another one, you know, but there wasn't anything that I could do about the color of my skin. And, uh, you know, so I, I actually, you know, packed up. And then when you look at it, this was back in 97. So, you know, it, he was an executive who was just scared for his job. He didn't 
mean it to be racist. He just was scared. You know, if, if I wasn't successful, he would get fired. That's how it works in the music business. And, um, you know, but for he didn't realize what he did to me, you know, what, what it did to me to say that, to say it that way, you know? Um, and then, so I, I, a couple months later, uh, you know, I, kind of just packed up and moved back home to wiki i gave up on my dreams and i kind of spiraled in a downward spiral just kind of giving up on music i said i wasn't going to be a singer anymore uh but no matter what i did i ended up back in front of a microphone back up on a stage and and people back home kept telling me you know try again what are you doing you know if i had your ticket i would be i would be out of here mm. and uh you know enough people and my family was so supportive that eventually you know i realized that nashville is where i'm supposed to be um, singing is what i do that's who i am and I can't do what I do back home. You know, I have to be over here where the music is made. And I don't really care what this guy thinks because there's a lot of other people in the music industry. And so I packed up my bags and moved back to Nashville. And I said, this time when I move back, it's, it's for good, you know? And if someday, you know, someday, you know, like 30 years down the road, I'm still sitting on a bar stool playing for tips, then it's been a good ride. You know, what a blessing that I got to play music for a living. I don't really yeah. want to sing. Yeah, well, c- congratulations for sticking it out and 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 realizing that. Um, you know, it's interesting though that you you did have to pack up uh, from Nashville to go back home to get that reassurance and hear that from you know people around you uh, to get that uh, that strength again and that belief to come back I- at you and and pursue it once again. It's interesting how I guess those those things work, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you need to go back to your roots to remember how strong you are. Now, um, you know, I remember also reading that uh, in some ways, I don't know, does this, does this tie in with, with uh, the current situation in, in the world that is going on, not just with COVID-19, but other things that have been happening recently? Uh, you, your first, I guess, the, 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 the start of your, your real blues uh, was the... Uh, the whole world's got the blues and you, that specific song that you wrote um, was headlines or just the news of the day w- was making you look thinking things were just out of hand. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. You know, I was just watching the news and I was just, I just felt overwhelmed. I felt so helpless. Like I wanted to help people, you know, and, and there's nothing, Thing I can do all I can do is write a song and and hopefully it comforts somebody hopefully it heals somebody hopefully it and make somebody say okay you know what like things are really scary out there and things are really depressing and bad but there's also a lot of good stuff and music is you know one of the art forms that's going to help us get through we're all going to get through it together you know even if we don't know each other you know it's art that's that connects us you know it's music it's radio it's tv these are the things that you know unite us and um you know, everybody's a little scared out there, you know, but, um, you know, unfortunately, the song stays relevant, you know, and it would have been relevant 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, you know, um, unfortunately, the world is always going through something all over the world. And, and I, and I really wanted to write a song because sometimes, you know, when we think about the unfortunate thing we're going through, um, sometimes we forget that everybody's going through something, every country out there, every race, every color of people, you know, everybody's got their thing that they're dealing with. And, um, you know, and sometimes we don't know what somebody else is going through and we assume we're the only ones. And so that's what I really wanted to show was, you know, I, we all have our blues and, and uh, we're, we're, we're going to get through it though. 
You know, you, you said uh, music was was uh, therapy. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's ab- absolutely great ther- therapy. I meant it as a compliment when I said cheap <laughs> therapy. <laughs> it, it definitely, you know, music has always got me through, whether it's listening to it or writing it or singing it. You know, when I'm writing music, it's because I'm trying to get something that's been weighing me down out of me, you know. And, mm. and when I'm singing on stage, it's, it's a release. I put every bad day that I've been having into that performance, every beautiful day. I've been having that performance and I just let it all go all my fears all my hopes all my cares and and you know and I and people feel it you know because you know that's that's the thing about my live shows is that I'm known for is the emotion that I put through and and you know I personally connect with my fans on a very personal level you know and um and so, and, and I grew up that way, you know, I watched my mom singing along with Loretta Lynn records, like somebody finally understood her, you know, and, and that's how this all started. I just wanted to grow up to be that for other people. Uh, you know, that connection you said you have with your, your, um, your audience, um, that personal connection, uh, I think it, it really comes through in your, in your songs, in your, in your, um, your recordings. Uh, you said your, your husband is your guitar player and your producer? Yes, yes. We've been we've been married now for 17 years. We actually met here in Nashville at Tootsie's Orchid Lounge. <laughs> he was playing in the band after me and and you know it was love at first sight. We started writing and playing music together and uh, we've been together ever since. Nice. Well, congratulations, but I want to congratulate him too. Please let him know uh, uh, fabulous uh, the latest album Church House Blues. Wow. Uh, great, great sounding album. Great songs. I mean, uh, Crystal, you're, you're coming into yourself so much. It's just, uh, uh, wow. Your, your voice, I mean, uh, it's, it's, you know, uh, wow is all I can say. And it's a great sounding record. Now, I, I wasn't sure, is this the one you did live off the floor? No, no, no. This is one, uh, the last double Voodoo Woman was the one we did live off the floor floor uh, voodoo woman was done all and all those songs were done in one take and then this one um we took our time with i signed a record deal with true north records and um they've been guiding us through this whole thing and it has felt so good like both me and my husband like he's the producer and i'm the artist and you know we used to co-produce everything but this album i said i wanted to step back and go back to just being a singer again and um and he produced the album and and so everything we did we you know we would hand it into the label they would give us you know their ideas and their pointers and it's been such a blessing like you know because when you're doing everything on your own from your own label it's like you're just shooting in the dark you don't know if you're doing it right and so it felt great to work with a team who was reassuring us and if anything they reinstilled the confidence in us um that maybe we lost somewhere along the way. So I'm really proud of him. Every single review has been just, you know, complimenting his production. And and that's why I stepped away. It's like, I I, I know what he's capable of. And sometimes he gets downplayed because he is my husband. And um, so it's great to see him recognized. And and this album, you know, I, I honestly feel like this is the best music that I've ever released. Like even, I feel like it's even surpassed uh, Dawn of the New Day because it has the it has the quality of Dawn of the New Day but it has a lot more soul I went down to the church house to get my Sunday morning right I went down to the church house to get my Sunday morning right Shake! 
And that's what I think makes this album so, so special. You know, even a lot of my fans have been sending me messages asking me, is your voice stronger? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that makes me feel so good because I've been really pushing myself as a vocalist to evolve. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not done yet. <laughs> I'm not done learning yet. <laughs> so it's, I'm, I'm really excited about this album. It's getting the best reviews we've ever gotten. And um, we, you know, we've, we debuted on number three on the blues charts and, uh, you know, we've been there for the past six weeks and then it went back down to 16 and then today it went right back up to number four. So we're really excited. You're listening to an encore presentation of Moment of Truth with our guest, Crystal Shawanda, that we did back in 2020, June of 2020 to be exact, when her latest album had come out, Church House Blues, which is now nominated in two categories for Juno Awards. The two categories are Indigenous Artist or Group of the Year, as well as Best Blues Album of the Year. Congratulations uh, to be working with True North Records. You're in there with a, with a lot of good, talented people and uh, some great names that they represent yeah absolutely um that, that's why i chose them you know um uh, jeff kulowick reached out to me and he reached out to me right after i released voodoo woman and <laughs> and you know to be honest when i when we released voodoo woman i was getting a little frustrated being my own boss owning my own label i was like you know what let's just put this album out here i'm not even gonna hire a publicist i'm not even gonna hire a tracker <laughs> and they're like just you know this is for my fans and then so we released it out there and then uh, Jeff ended up reaching out to my manager and asked if I'd be interested in a deal and you know he um, you know explained to me what he had in mind and and he felt he believed that my best is yet to come my best years are yet to come and and uh, and it felt exciting to hear that from somebody you know to that they believe that I have so much more in me. And also, you know, looking at who he's worked with, everybody from Buffy St. Marie to Colin James, you know, I felt like he understood the best of both worlds, you know, what it's like to market an Indigenous woman as a blues artist. And that's me all wrapped up into one. <laughs> you know, you, you uh, mentioned uh, at an earlier time, you know, there's not too many Indigenous women in the music industry. Now, do you think, what do you think the pluses are of that, though? Um, I don't know if there's um, any pluses. I mean, I think we need more. We need definitely need more. You know, I think um, our women need to just keep being fearless and keep pushing through. I know of a lot of awesome female Indigenous artists out there who are constantly working at it and grinding and, um, you know, writing great music and trying to figure out the music industry and how to push it out there. You know, I'd love to see a lot, you know, there's a lot of great artists, but I'd love to see even more Indigenous women trying to get into, um, you know, the business side of the music business, you know, uh, I don't think a lot of women realize it's like, you know, maybe you love music, but 
you're not a singer or a songwriter, you know, but you can get into the business side of things if you're a fan of music and you're passionate about it. You know, I, I'd love to see more of that because I don't, I don't think I've ever seen an Indigenous woman on the business side of things. And that's, that's why I started my own record label when I did is because I wanted to prove that it could be done. That's an option for women, Indigenous women. And I wanted to prove that. So that's, that's what that was all about for me. Well, uh, I guess like many artists, uh, gives you maybe time to do some more writing. Yeah, definitely. We've been doing a lot of writing. You know, I'm, I'm working on a little side project that I've been doing. It's like uh, um, an uh, Indigenous music album. It's something I've never done. And so I've always kind of wanted to do it. So that's kind of a side project. I'm also working on some children's books and a lullaby album. You know, I got, I got a lot of projects going on. And then I continue to uh, mentor and produce other artists so that's you know we're trying to figure out you know I was right in the middle of producing about five different projects for different artists and you know so we're just trying to figure out how do we continue to finish these albums (laughs) even though we can't see each other so um, we're working on that so I'm always producing other artists it's something I love to do Um, but yeah so you know just trying to try to stay in uh, you know Right now, our main focus is is just promoting the new album. You know, it's funny. There's a song on the album called Bigger Than the Blues, and we wrote the song about depression, but, you know, the song has been getting a lot of attention because, you know, everybody's feeling the isolation of this whole quarantine business. And so, um, you know, we've been staying busy just with stuff like that. When you spend too much time in your troubled mind no peace you'll find just the blues and you work so hard just to find a smile but it's been a while that's the truth that's nice to hear. I'm glad to hear you mention those other projects you were you're involved with, like the the children's and the indigenous album, uh, and other artists. You said you're you're busy uh, sort of helping other artists. So it sounds like you're doing okay. Yeah, yeah. Everything's you know we we take everything one day at a time through this whole pandemic thing. You know. Um, uh, the, the advice I've been giving to people is take it one day at a time, because if you think too far ahead and you keep wondering about when things are going to go back to normal, you're going to depress yourself and drive yourself crazy. Right. You know, focus on what you're doing, focus on the task at hand, whatever it is you're doing, you know, be passionate about every little thing you do. And then that way you're not overthinking things that are out of your control. So that's, that's where we're at. You know, we're just focusing on the music. And for me, my focus right now is my little three-year-old and, you know, and uh, promoting my new album, you know, so that's, that's kind of what we focus on. You know, we're doing music videos at home. Um, Right now we're actually working on a, a a little promotional video for bigger than the blues. And, um, you know, we're just constantly working at it. And then we just put out the new music video for when it comes to love, which is a song that me and my husband wrote. And it's funny, we actually started writing that song 17 years ago when we first started dating. (laughs) And then we just kind of worked on it over the years. And uh, we finally felt like we were ready to share it. And it turned out to be one of the favorite songs of the label on the album, you know, and, and most of the songs are songs that I wrote or co-wrote. Um, we only have one cover on the album and it's actually a song by Tragically Hip. We actually redid New Orleans is Sinking. Yes. Um, so, so yeah. So, and, and that's been a favorite. It's funny because, you know, we have all these guys from these blues stations all over the world and in America and they were like, 
what is this song? New Orleans is sinking. Did you write that? I'm like, no, that was written by a Canadian rock band, you know? And, and some people thought I was crazy for, you know, recording a, a song from a Canadian rock band because I've, I've met some resistance going into the blues world. They're like, you know, how are you going to convince people you're a blues artist when you're cutting a rock song? And I'm like, well, I do it a little differently. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, the blues world is happens. That happens to be one of their favorite songs on the album. So, you know, and I, I keep telling people, you know, tragically hip, they were the soundtrack to my misspent youth. So I, this was my ode to, uh, this was my ode to wiki and to how I grew up where I grew up. All right. said and yeah what a great version of the song new orleans is sinking it is really good so i'm glad you mentioned that i appreciate it crystal it's been a pleasure speaking with you and i'm so happy that you took time to uh to call in and and you know and spend a little bit of time with us and uh, tell us what you're up to and uh and all the best to you with the church house blues the latest album uh, you and your husband as well as your three-year-old um, uh, as a parent, I know what that's like, and uh, it's wonderful to have them at such a young age. They uh, can teach you so much. Yeah, definitely. Well, she's part of the show now. She usually joins us on stage in our live shows. Everybody knows Jaja now. <laughs> so thank you so much for squeezing me in today. I really appreciate the support, and you all stay safe and take care. All right, you too, and thanks once again. Chimigwech. Thank you. Chimigwech. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a special Encore presentation on Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, with our guest, Crystal Shawanda, who is nominated in two Juno 2021 categories, including Best Blues Album of the Year, as well as Best Indigenous Artist or Group of the Year. We're going to go out with a little bit more of Crystal Shawanda and Church House Blues. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with Nick Godsu right after this. Sunday morning right I caught him dead 
Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. All right. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And as you may know, that's 1065 Toronto, 957 Ottawa, anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app. You can also listen on your favorite podcast platform. And uh, we also want to welcome those people that are listening on other radio stations that now carry Moment of Truth. It's a pleasure to have you all with us here on the show. It's also a pleasure to have with us here on the show uh, Nick Godsu, and he is the manager of programs and education at Music Counts, and he's been with Music Counts for about three years. It's a pleasure to have him on the show to talk about Music Counts because they've just made an announcement for a contemporary Indigenous music classroom resource, and that's going to be available right across the country. So it's uh, it's great to have Nick on the show to talk about this with us. So Nick, welcome. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, so listen, what can you tell us a little bit about, before we get into the the new contemporary Indigenous music classroom resource, uh, Music Counts. Um, People can access that online at musiccounts.ca. Now, it's Music Counts, but (laughs) you're trying to look it up. The the last C in music is also the first C in counts, so you put those two words together and you get Music Counts. So, um, .ca, if you want to look up the information that we're going to to be talking about today and maybe access it for your own classroom uh, if you are an instructor because this is is it is focused towards the instructors correct nick yeah so just to give some background on on music counts we're canada's music education charity uh, and we're the charitable arm of the juno awards Hmm. um and it's our mandate to ensure that all kids in canada have access to music education um, we do that primarily through some granting programs mm-hmm. that we have. So each year we allocate around 1.5 million worth of instruments and equipment and gear and resources to under-resourced schools across the country who need new equipment, new instruments to make music education happen for their students. Um, and we're actually gearing up to make a $1 million announcement through one of our funding programs that will be coming up here in the next couple of weeks, wow. uh, which we're really excited about. Um so that is, you know, one of the main ways that we support music education, because obviously instruments are very expensive. Um, so we try and, you know, close that gap through providing funding. Um, but something else that we've been doing is offering classroom resources as well. And you're right. Those are those are completely geared towards educators meant to fill gaps in terms of what's currently available to them. And that was really the inception of this contemporary Indigenous music resource um, that you were speaking about. Okay, and we're going to get into that in a little bit, but if you don't mind, let's go back a moment to what you were talking about in terms of raising funds towards uh, other areas such as musical instruments. Um, how much of a need is that are you seeing across the country? Uh, it's it's huge. Um, you know, every year we receive, you know, several hundred applications mm. uh, from schools across the country who simply do not have the materials that they need to offer 
their students an inclusive music education. Um, you know, some schools are working with instruments that are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, you know, mm-hmm. really pushing this equipment to their limits. Uh, a lot of schools mm-hmm. don't have instruments that align with the needs and interests of their students. And a lot of schools don't have any musical instruments at all. Mm-hmm. And that's really the most stirring part of it, you know, because uh, of course, there's there's province mandated curricula for music education, but in these applications that we receive, there are so many schools that simply don't have instruments. Um, so that's why these programs exist to close that gap and to really energize these schools with some new instruments and equipment, um, so that they can offer their kids, you know, meaningful and you know, just stronger music education programs. Um, so through our Band Aid program. Um, schools can request up to $15,000 worth of new musical instruments and equipment for their school. As you were talking there, I couldn't help but think about the people that are on that committee that are looking at these applications that come in every year trying to make the choices of, of where they should be putting their, uh, you know, their support. You're telling me. Uh, oh. Yeah, it's, it's a huge challenge um, because, of course, you know, we never get an application where they don't need the help. Uh, You know, music education in all schools is usually at the bottom of the funding list, Mm -hmm. right? So for us to have to decide among, um, you know, all of the applications we receive, all of them need new instruments. Uh, And, you know, usually depending on the year, we're only able to support between one in five and one in seven applications we receive. So it's extremely difficult. Um, And that's why, you know, we're committed to continuing to raise funds to continue to close that gap and make sure that, you know, every year we say no to less and less schools that apply. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing, I guess, is um, we all know the value of music. We all know how how it can, uh, it has so many values to raising and educating kids in other areas. It spills over into other learning areas. Well, that's the thing, right? And that's why it's so, um, you know, so frustrating sometimes, especially for music teachers, because we all know how valuable music education is. The the benefits of access to music education are so well researched. Uh, There's no question. Um, But to see music programs across Canada struggle uh, because they don't have the resources to make it possible for their kids, it's it's really um, it's really unfortunate. And, you know, we always kind of joke at music accounts and say, you know, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have to exist. Schools Mm. wouldn't have to apply for our grants um, to make music education possible for their students. But for now, um, you know, we do have to exist. And and we're we're really trying to make sure that the schools that that serve the most in need youth, the schools that that face the most barriers, um, that we're prioritizing those schools and making sure that they that they have equipment because we don't want any kid to miss out. Mm. on on the opportunity to access music education. Yeah. You know, the other thing that comes to mind is a number of years ago, I had an opportunity to go up to Attawapiskat mm. in Northern Ontario, and they have a brand new, beautiful school. They have a music department area. They have no instruments. Yeah, I know. It's it's a shame. And, you know, we're tr- and that's the challenge with those really rural communities too, right? Mm-hmm. Is, you know, uh, the shipping costs can just be yeah. astronomical. Right. Um and and that's you know we we tend to cover the shipping when we're when we're uh, awarding grants to schools in really rural remote communities. Um, you know we've supported several schools um, in rural areas of the territories in northern Ontario, like Atabapascat, and um, and yeah, so that's just another huge barrier that these that these remote schools face. Um, you know, but you're, it's, it, 
Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you're right. It, it, that that's another element we don't think about. Get the instruments, but now you got to get them there. It's the transportation and delivery system that also needs to be involved with this. So, yeah, costs all over the place. Yeah, for sure. You know, Nick, the other thing that comes to mind now as I'm sitting here looking at my own equipment in front of me as we're talking, has it changed in terms of the, the kind of equipment you're looking for? You know, more software based now? Yes. So so the Music Hounds Band-Aid program, that's our main funding program for school music programs. Um, although it's called the Band-Aid program, it certainly does not exclusively support band programs. We support any approach to music education, mm. whether that's music production equipment, um, electronic music making, mm. iPads for, for you know, mm. schools that have music recording programs, um, schools that have um, indigenous youth who want to, you know, build traditional drums and stuff mm. like that. Mm. Any approach to music education is supported. Um, but especially with um, the COVID-19 pandemic and the immense challenges that has uh, that has placed on music education, we've seen certainly an increase in applications looking for uh, music technology and recording gear and stuff like that because teachers, you know, they want to be able to continue to offer music education for their students. And that's very much possible. Music education has not stopped in the pandemic. It's just evolving. It's just changing. Right. Um, so a lot of schools who traditionally offered wind band programs have applied to us looking for guitars and ukuleles mm. and recording gear because they are planning for the future. They want to grow their music program into something that's more inclusive and maybe more sustainable. Right. Great. Well, that kind of ties in with what we're talking about today with the Music Counts Contemporary Indigenous Music Classroom resource. What can you tell us about that? So this resource is under the umbrella of our newest program, Music Counts Learn. So just to give a little bit of context there, when the pandemic hit um, and in-person music making was kind of um, put to a halt, we knew that we had to do more for music education in Canada beyond our granting programs. So we started developing new classroom resources to fill gaps, like I was saying. We started facilitating a national dialogue between music education leaders across the country and streaming those conversations on our social media as a way to bring the country together, to, as a way to bring Canada's music education community together. Um, so back in September, we had a conversation about decolonizing music education in Canada, bringing together um, BIPOC music educators to talk about what that really means to think about decolonizing music education in Canada and um, what what is needed to make that happen. And um, one of the big outcomes from that conversation is that, you know, there is a desire among music educators to bring um, substantive conversations about Indigenous music into the classroom. Uh, there's a pressure on the part of, you know, provincial governments for teachers to do this as well, to have conversations about truth and reconciliation mm. in the context of arts courses at, uh, at the secondary level. Um, but not a lot of resources to support actually making that happen. Mm. Um, so that's why we collaborated with Cheryl Sue Packham and worked with her. She's an Indigenous music educator mm -hmm. uh, to create this new resource that explores three contemporary Indigenous artists and their music. So this resource explores the music of Jeremy Dutcher, the Stunny Nose Res Kids, and Sila and Rise. Um, and it's designed so that any uh, educator, whether music or social studies or otherwise, can have these conversations in the context of their classroom um, and hopefully 
uh, act as a starting point in decolonizing uh, music education in Canada. Mm. Now, the three artists that you mentioned, how is that going to work within this program? Yeah, so one of the things that, you know, I know Cheryl was most excited about in, in working on this is that there's kind of a conception out there that Indigenous music is stuck in the past, that it's all kind of throat singing and, and powwow drums. Um, but what this resource really focuses on is the contemporary diversity, the musical diversity mm-hmm. of Indigenous artists in Canada. So I think it'll be really exciting for both teachers and students when using this resource to learn that contemporary Indigenous music is rap and hip hop. It is mm-hmm. classical music. It is mm-hmm. electronic dance music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that by including all of these different genres in the resource, it will it will kind of combat that that maybe archaic understanding of what indigenous music is, and will also um, you know hopefully meet students where they're at, and and you know hopefully you know. I'm hoping that uh, when students are learning about the music of Snowy Nose Res Kids, for example, that that will really resonate with them to mm. be, you know, listening to rap and hip hop in the music classroom and, mm. and talking about that in that context. Right. And I guess that opens up some of the other things that you're talking about as well. When we think about the, the way music has changed, especially in terms of the software, production values, all of that other side of music that Junos are so much involved with as well. You know, the three artists you've chosen are great, but it's a, sort of the tip of the iceberg. And they, they really do represent well in terms of the kind of music that they're doing. And so hopefully this will really, as you say, stimulate uh, the instructors as well as the students. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I know when we, when we were working with Cheryl and, and some members of our advisory committee and figuring out, you know, what artists were going to be a part of this resource, it was a big challenge. Cause like mm. you said, there are so many fantastic folks and that's why um, in the resource, we've included a final capstone project whereby um, whereby uh, teachers can work with their students to put together an artist profile of an indigenous artist in their province, territory, or region. So, you know, you've kind of gone through the resource, you've looked at the music of Jeremy Dutcher, Stonos Redskids, Sila and Rise, and now you have the opportunity to kind of apply that knowledge to learning about another indigenous artist in your area. Mm. Um, and there's actually an opportunity to submit that final project to Music Counts, and that will enter your school for a chance to receive uh, one of 10 $1,000 grants to support music education at your school. Um, So we're hoping that teachers will um, take advantage of that final project component, not only uh, to to be entered for a chance to receive one of those grants, but also as an opportunity to learn more about and connect with um, an additional um, Indigenous artist. Because like you said, there are are so many fantastic artists out there. We want to make sure that we're bringing awareness to as many as possible. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned uh, working with Cheryl and mm-hmm. she's been around a long time and she's a music educator herself. Yes. Um, what was this? It's Kanada, uh, yes. the latest resource, is, and that's accessible online through Music Counts. Yeah. And is, is there any more involvement other than them going to the, the Music Counts website, downloading, accessing the material? Is there a continuation of, of um, you know, back and forth or, or involvement with Music Counts through the process? 
Yeah, well, something that Music Counts is committed to doing is creating more resources like this. And we have a few projects in the pipes that we'll be announcing in the coming months, which mm. is really exciting. But we want to continue addressing the needs of music educators. You know, with this resource, we heard that there was a need for something like this. Mm. So we created this resource. Mm. So we want to hear from teachers across the country if they feel there's a need for something else. Um, you know, we're, we're committed to working with folks to make that happen, working with with professionals and music educators to to facilitate that collaboration and bring these new ideas to life. Mm. Um, so we're, we're always willing to, to hear from folks. Uh, and yeah, we're, we're going to continue with our town hall series, having, you know, national dialogue about issues that are important to music educators. So once you go on the music counts website, you, you can explore the music counts learn page and, and get a sense of um, the scope of, of works that we're doing to support music education. And I, yeah. And if there's something that you think we're missing, we'd love to, we'd love to hear it. Okay. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My guest here on the show is Nick Godso. He is the Manager of Programs and Education at Music Counts and he's been with Music Counts for about three years. We're talking about the new uh, contemporary Indigenous music classroom resource that they have come out with and it's available to class instructors across the country by going to the musiccounts.ca website where that material can be accessed you can find out more also about music counts there and uh, as Nick was saying uh, some pretty exciting stuff Nick that you've got uh, going on beyond this as you as you just mentioned about the the opportunity for class and and schools to submit uh, some of the the uh, uh, things that they work on, um, and then have a chance to to receive uh, would you say one one of ten one thousand? Yeah, one of ten one thousand dollar grants. Yeah, that's great. You, you know, I, when you as soon as you said that, I thought that's got to be a big plus that would you know be give instructors something more to say. Hey, look, guys, we can create something and submit, and maybe get a chance to even you know um, w- w- uh, win a grant that we can even buy some more equipment later. I'm sure that that kids and this is for what grades does, does this cover? By the way, uh, this cr- covers grades seven to twelve. Okay. And uh, I'm sure that would be very exciting for them to to have something to look forward to. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it just it's a fun way to um, to kind of ground the resource. There's a lot of information. And, you know, like I was saying at the beginning of our of our chat today, uh, the effort to decolonize music education. Um, there's a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, these conversations are unfortunately still quite new um, in music education circles. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, you know, um, for teachers who maybe haven't had these kinds of conversations in the context of music class before, hopefully, you know, we hope that the, that this incentivization, this grant component will, will help encourage teachers to really, you know, take advantage of this resource, engage with these important conversations with their students, explore these important topics that are woven into the music of each of these amazing artists, um, you know, that's the great thing about music class and, and studying music is that uh, issues of social justice, environmental justice, um, you know, mm. music is able to communicate those so effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great foundation to have these conversations with young people. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I hope all of this will just really encourage educators to, to leverage this information um, 
uh, with their students. And how do how do these instructors get notified or, or become aware that this is available through Music Counts? Uh, well, we have quite, um, you know, we, we love to do opportunities like this where we <laughs> right. can talk about it. Sure. Uh, our, our reach in, in music education communities across Canada, I would say, is quite strong mm-hmm. um, just through, you know, our established grant program. So, you know, we have our newsletter and we have, uh, you know, our social media, which has thousands of educators mm-hmm. um following us and stuff like that Mm. but you know it's always a struggle not a struggle but it's always our our hope to continue to fight to get the word out to make sure that folks who maybe don't know about music counts Mm. uh, can find out and 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 really take advantage of uh, the resources and the funding opportunities that we offer and and is this this is available now so people can go to the musiccounts.ca website and and start accessing this material Yes, it's available now. It's on our website. Uh, the other thing that I'd love to add is that, you know, in addition to the the physical teacher guide, which includes all of the information that you need as a teacher um, to get started in, in teaching this content to your students, it's full of different kinds of student activities that get students thinking and discussing and researching and creating um, stemming from this music Um each of the artists involved also created a behind the music video where they're talking about uh, themes about their music that are addressed in the resource. So these are tools that the teachers can use to make sure that perspectives are being appropriately represented and to make sure that, you know, when you're talking about the music of these artists, you know, you can show this video and make sure Mm -hmm. that, you know, the the, the stuff is coming directly from the mouth of the artists themselves. Um, So we're really we're super, you know, honored to have um, all three of the um, artists and groups, you know, having donated their time to make those videos, because uh, I think it really elevates the project. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I guess it would be also hopefully exciting for the students to actually see the artists themselves talking about this and and engaging in the process with them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, is is there a time limit on this in terms of when it will be available until? Is, does it end at a certain point? Uh, no, the resource itself will be available um, indefinitely. Uh, and we're going to continue to, you know, as we receive feedback and, and stuff like that to make revisions and amendments. So the resource itself will be here forever. Uh, the current, um, you know, um, incentive piece uh, for those grants uh, that will end on May 24th. Um, So that's more of like a this semester thing. Right. Um, You don't have to do the resource this semester. It'll be there next semester if you want to do it then. Um, But uh, yeah, if you're interested in getting entered for a chance to receive one of those grants, you need to submit that final project by May 24th. Okay. Um, Now, what about uh, who can access? And and what I mean by that is this. Is it public, private? uh, um, You you know, uh, what about independent, what am I trying to say? Uh, Independent uh, teachers that have instructional classes. Are they able to access this as well? Yes, it's it's on our website. Um, once you go to musiccounts.ca, um, downloading the PDF is just a few clicks away. Um, so it's free for anyone to access. Mm. Uh, it's great that you talked about the video and that that element that you talked about, and you talked about moving forward on this as well. And and the will there be any more involvement with the artists themselves that are involved with this program? Uh, potentially, uh, you know, we, we would love to continue to, to have them involved, um, you know, and, and that's something, you know, that we're kind of working on right now is, you know, what more can we give teachers to support them in feeling confident 
to, to teach this resource. Because like I said, this is not, uh, you know, this will not be your conventional music class uh, oh. when you talk about this resource with your students, right. right? This is going to be new for a lot of people, new for a lot of teachers, new for a lot of students. And we want to make sure that we're giving teachers everything that they need so that they feel most confident um, and, and able to, to have these important conversations mm-hmm. with their students. Uh, so we're, we're, we are you know, completely open to trying to continue right. to work with the artists to, um, to create those kind of opportunities. Right. And, and Nick, once uh, an instructor downloads the information and starts working with it, you mentioned uh, a semester for this, this, this one particular element. Is it sort of geared towards a semester or is it, was it be more geared towards an entire year or, or how does it roll out that way? Well, the cool thing about this resource is it's very scalable. So you can do as much or as little of it as, as you like as an educator. Mm. Um, so basically, just to kind of talk about the format of the whole thing, it's divided into two parts. Mm. Part one is the foundational information that teachers and students should know before mm. getting into the music of the artists included in the resource. So that's right. just including some very foundational information, you know, about um, the history of Indigenous music in Canada, uh, you know, the residential school system, the 60s scoop, the Truth and Reconciliation right. Commission, just like those important foundational pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, three of the Indigenous music educators involved with bringing this uh, resource to life, um, Cheryl, along with Nicole Schutz and Jeremy Albert, uh, created a fantastic introductory video that kind of summarizes that. So again, uh, you can you can read the physical resource or you can watch this video of these educators talking about these topics. Mm. Um so all of that contextual information is part one. Part two is, uh, you know, divided into chapters devoted to each artist. And within those chapters, there are, you know, between three and five student activities per artist. So you can kind of go through and do them all in order, or you can just do one activity by one artist if you want. Um, so depending on how much time uh, educators have available to them or want to 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 allocate to spending time on this topic. Um, yeah, the resource is very scalable. That's great to hear. And and also, you know, when you were talking about that, then it, it also uh, enlightens me and, and others to realize that this is more, more than just music education. This is about education. It's about uh, getting into the Canadian history and the, uh, the situation around Indigenous people in Canada and bringing people up to speed on that as well. Absolutely. And that's something else that we, that we, you know, wanted to be front of mind about as we were putting this together. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of our chat, uh, there are a lot of schools that don't have musical instruments mm. that are not able to offer, uh, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote, traditional music education. Right? Right, right. So we want this resource to be inclusive to those schools. Right. Um, so it's kind of our, our way of, you know, potentially getting music education in the back door because th- these conversations will be just as home, just as at home in a social studies class or a history class mm. as they would be in a music class. Mm. And the resource is designed in a way so that it's very accessible to folks who are not music educators. Mm. Um, it's very interdisciplinary in that way. So we mm. hope that this is something that social studies teachers um, and Canadian studies teachers and Indigenous studies teachers will 
will leverage as well. Right. And Nick, just before we finish up, as again, as we were talking and looking at the artists involved, you know, I haven't been, I've been out of school for quite some time. I'm not sure how things are operating at that level between grades uh, uh, seven and 12 these days. But, you know, some of the the artists, when I think of the Snotty Nose Red Kid, Res Kids, for, for instance, um, there is some language issues that might come up in some of their material. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, we, we address that in the resource, particularly mm. in the section about Snotty Nose Res Kids. Mm. And, you know, I think it's just, I think it's an opportunity for teachers to have conversations with their students about mm. why profanity is used mm. and the and the effectiveness of that. Right. You know, it's right. being used for a reason, particularly right. in the music of the Snotty Nose Res Kids, right? Absolutely, yeah. So I think that, that there's a way for teachers to approach that um, to make it a teaching moment mm. uh, and a learning moment for their students. Yeah, nicely said, nicely said, for sure. Nick, it's been fabulous talking with you. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us on the show and share this about this great resource that you guys have rolling out. It, it's fabulous, and I wish you all the best with it. And, you know, like I said, I hope that uh, at some point in the future, you can say that uh, you're no longer needed and <laughs> do yourselves out of a job because that would be wonderful. But I, I'm afraid that we probably won't see that anytime soon. Yeah, me as well. Well, anyway, thank you for having me. It was great to talk with you today. All right, you take care. All right, thanks so much. Yep. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. And uh, that is the voice of uh, Nick Godso, and he is the Manager of Programs and Education with Music Counts and has been so for the last three years. And uh, we've been talking to him about their announcement of a contemporary Indigenous music classroom resource that is now available at the Music Counts website, and that is the show for today. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.